life. Here to continue the King series is Danny Meyer, who, who cheats, by the way, who cheats in pie eating contests. <laughs> I just had to get that off my chest. Yes, right. I'm getting pie out of my ears. <laughs> Hey, Sean, can we turn one more bank of lights on in the, out there? It's just, I like to see who I'm talking to. Ooh. Okay, it'll come up. So let me go ahead and begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll just jump right into uh, our, our king for the day. Father, we, we thank you so much that in the word you, you give us... Uh, lessons through the lives of others. And, and Lord, I, I pray that tonight as we look at the life of King Solomon, that, that you'd allow us to glean something from this little uh, just slice of his life. Lord, allow us to see something not only about his, uh, his heart, but allow us to see something about our hearts. Allow us to be challenged by you. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, as Michael said, we, are, we began last week a series uh, on the kings. We're not going to go over every single king of Israel, and uh, in fact, we're going to skip the first two kings because there's been so much taught, on, taught about uh, King Saul and King David, but we're going to try to look at other kings, and we're not in one evening, one day, going to be able to... To, to glean everything or to teach everything about their lives. But what we can do is, is take something of their life and hopefully apply it to our lives. That's what we'll be doing tonight as we, as we look at Solomon. So just to, to bring us to the, uh, to the same place, uh, Michael talked last week about how Israel, from the beginning, it always was led and ruled by judges. They didn't have any kings like the other nations. They didn't have an earthly king because they understood that God was their king. But there came a time when, when the inhabitants of Israel looked around at the nations surrounding them and said, listen, we want a king like, like these other countries, these other nations. And one of the judges who was sort of uh, deliberating with other judges over Israel and helping to give direction to Israel went before God and asked God, is it the people, your people want, they want a king. They want a king like these other nations. What shall, what shall we do? And God said, go ahead. If they want a king, you can get them a king. So uh, Samuel first anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel. And Saul had God's anointing at the beginning, but he turned from God. And you could read about Saul. And, and God lifted his anointing from, uh, from Saul. And the next king that he placed his anointing on was, was David. And David had a good heart. He, he ruled well. He, he, he had some little quirky things and a little rough around the edges. But, but David ruled, and there's so many lessons in the life of David. But David had a son, and when David grew old, his son... Solomon became the next king there in Israel. And Solomon became king at about when he was about 20 years old. And, and that's where we're picking up tonight. We're going to look at one slice of, of King Solomon's life. Right at the beginning of his rule. Right at the beginning of his reign as he came before God. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 3, I think we have this up on the screen. If you uh, brought your Bible, I'd encourage you to use that. Or we have Bibles on the, the front stage and the back of the, the on the uh, sound booth uh, ledge. 
So, but in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it says that Gideon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, think about it. For a 20-year-old, whatever you want me to give you, I'll provide it. Whatever you desire, I'll give it to you. This was God's, God's offer. I, I, I can imagine what I would have, have asked for when I was 20 years old. But we, we get a glimpse into Solomon, because listen to what he says, skipping down to verse 9. Solomon said this, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? See, Solomon understood one thing, which is an amazing thing for, for that age. He understood that these weren't his people, even though he was their king. They were God's people. And even though they wanted a, a human king, an earthly king, Solomon recognized, listen, these are your people, you're their king, and therefore, what Solomon asked for is discernment. He asked for wisdom. He asked for the ability to understand what was in the, the, the Father's heart, what was in God's mind, so that he could bring the purposes of God, the plans of God, from heaven to earth and implement it for the people of Israel. Solomon understood that the key is who's on the throne. And Solomon, at 20 years old, recognized that not only was he not equipped to rule and reign according to his own wisdom, but they, the, the people of Israel weren't his people. They belonged to God, and God in heaven, the king of the universe, he needed to be on the throne, and Solomon wanted to be about his business. Skipping down to verse 10, it says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked me for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, neither, uh, so that there will never have been like anyone like you nor will there ever be. That's a pretty good promise. But God says, because you asked for something, that wouldn't be the natural thing that anyone would ask for, let alone a 20-year-old. I am going to give you just what you ask. But it, 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 he goes on, and in verse 13, he says, Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. I'll give you wealth and honor. So that in your lifetime, you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience with me and keep my decrees and my commands as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. So even though Solomon said, I just want wisdom so I can, so I can know your mind and your heart, God said, I am so blessed by what you chose. I'll give you what you asked for, but I'll give you what you didn't ask for. I'll give you fame. I'll give you 
fortune. I'll give you power. I'll give you authority. I'll give you safety in your land as long as you follow after me. So Solomon started strong. I mean, he, even though Israel wanted an earthly king, Solomon continued to want God to be his king. And even though Israel wanted Solomon to be on their throne, Solomon wanted to see to it that God was on the throne in his life, in Solomon's life. Now, you've, ha- you've heard me say this before over, over the years, that if there is, there is one theme that runs through the entire Bible, if there is one thread that holds this together from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, if there's a, a theme or a thread that ties the entire scriptures together and the history of God and his people together, it's the issue and the fact that God, as king of the universe, wants to rule and reign over his people. He wants to be on the throne. The, 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 very, the very term, the kingdom of God, refers to the reign of God and the rule of God, and this is the passion of God, and God saw this understanding in Solomon, and indeed, when he sees it in any of his, any of his people, this desire to let him rule, to let him be on the throne, to follow after him rather than following after our own ways and our own good ideas, we see God coming and drawing near and blessing. But this, this, this concept of the, the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, is, is so central to what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to be a follower of God, to what it means to, to be a disciple. As, as king, he, he's not out to be king and wanting to be on the throne because he wants power, but it's so that he can execute his kind rule, that he's a, a God of mercy, he's a God of, of grace, of truth, of justice. And we need to be perfectly clear about this, that God never will abdicate his throne. He doesn't hand that authority that resides in him, he doesn't give it away to somebody else. He doesn't let go of it to anybody else. If you are the, the, the owner of a business, ultimately, in the heart and mind of God, if, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, it's God's business. If you're a parent, they're not just your children. They're God's children. And as, as parents, again, our purpose, our desire would be to, to take hold of his purposes, have wisdom to discern his plans so we could bring his, his plans into our home. I remember years ago, decades ago, I was doing a wedding and the, the, the husband and the wife came in for premarital counseling. And one of the, the first questions the, the wife asked me is, so tell me, who's, who's the head of our home? And I think she was looking to, to, to size me up to decide whether she was going to let me do the wedding or not. And, and I said, oh, that's easy. Jesus is. God is the head of the home. And it's your collective responsibility as a a husband and a wife to discern and to understand what it is that he wants for your home so that his will can be done. But you see, 
on this level, on earth, we are so concerned with who gets to have control. And the clear teaching of the scripture is there's one God in the universe. And though he at times delegates authority, it's always authority under his ultimate authority. And Solomon understood that. Even though he was going to be the earthly king, he understood that his reign, his rule, was meant just to, to dispatch God's good reign, his rule. And that's the mark of a follower of God, a follower of Christ. That's what marked those who followed God in the Old Testament. That's what marks a disciple and a follower of God in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. You see, Jesus didn't come. The scriptures aren't pointing to this, the fact that God's intention is to, to tweak the kingdoms of this world. God's desire isn't to try to come and, and fix earthly kingdoms. He's come to bring his good purposes, his counsel and wisdom from heaven to earth. Jesus didn't come and say, I, I, I'm here to, to fix Rome, although Rome in the first century needed quite a bit of fixing. And, and people tried to get him to fix Rome, but he would have nothing of it. God's not looking to, to fix Israel in this, as an earthly kingdom. God's not trying to and intent on tweaking and fixing the United States. God wants his kingdom to come. His rule to come. His reign to come. So that his will will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. He wants his followers to walk and live with him as their king. And this is something that Solomon understood, and this is what made Solomon, at this point of his reign, so unique and so blessed. You see, it's, it's not God's mission to improve the world, but it's God's desire to transform the world from the inside out. And that's where we come in. That's what Solomon understood. He wanted to change the world from the inside out, and Solomon was a man who had a heart at this point in his, his life. He had a heart that understood, it's my heart that needs to be towards God. And not just that I, I get the right rules to implement. I need to have my heart transformed, and that indeed is how God desires and intends to transform the, the world. Not through getting the right government, the right rules implemented, that's, but, but rather transforming one heart after another. You see, God's kingdom doesn't come through, through the use of force. I mean, that's why Jesus, when he was before Pilate, Pilate said, are, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, I was the king of the Jews, then my servants would fight 
to prevent my arrest. If Jesus was, was an, to be an earthly king, then he would have probably said, Peter, go ahead, start swinging that sword. But the kingdom of God doesn't come through, through force. It doesn't come through the implementation of laws. That's been tried. Constantine, in the third century, became a Christian. He was the emperor of Rome in, in about 315 and, and, and later. But Constantine, having become a Christian, tried to make all Rome Christian. He decreed Christianity is the religion of Rome and all people need to come under that, the, the, the understanding and the rules and the teachings of Christianity. It didn't make it didn't make Rome a Christian nation. God wants to change and bring his kingdom from the inside out. And this was the focus of Jesus' preaching. This was his message. I mean, you look at the conversation between Jesus and, and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. And what were the Pharisees? They were the, the religious leaders of the day. They, and the Pharisees attempted to take the external law of God, which is good, and make it from the outside in what would transform people. But it never worked. So Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus one night. He was a Pharisee. He said, Jesus, how, how do I take hold of the, the, the kingdom of God? How do I take hold of, of your reign and your rule and see your, your, your kingship come to earth? And, and listen to what, what Jesus said. He, he says, no, and this is in John chapter 3, verse 3, no one can see or experience or comprehend the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God, unless he is born again spiritually. Change takes place from the inside, not from the outside. Then he goes on in verse 6 and says, What comes from the flesh, what we do out of our own effort, is just flesh. But what is born of the Spirit is spirit. So understand, this is a phenomenal thing we read about with Solomon, because Solomon was all about, at the beginning of his reign, wanting to see God's reign and rule. And Solomon understood it was an issue of his heart. It was an issue of his heart. Whether or not he was yielded to God on his throne. Hold on to that. This brings me to, to the next point I want to make, and, and that is that Solomon obviously also understood that God's kingdom was, was nothing like the, the earthly kingdom, the earthly kingdom of, his, of, of Saul or the earthly kingdom of his, his father David, that there was something upside down, something countercultural to the way God rules in comparison to how human beings rule in comparison to what we think is, is appropriate in bringing order to the earth. See, the kingdom of God breaks all the rules, and I believe Solomon understood that. 
And that's why he didn't ask for what would be natural. Lord, give me safety in Israel. Lord, tell me what, what rules to, to establish as I, as I begin my reign. No, he knew that as a king, he needed to learn how to just walk in step with God each day because there'll be so many, so many situations that the right law, the right rule wouldn't fix. So he said, Lord, help me to discern, help me to hear, help me to understand your will and your purposes. Solomon obviously understood that, that the kingdom of God was so very different than the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of God doesn't fit with the priorities or the values or the methodologies of these earthly kingdoms. So he didn't ask for fame or fortune or power, but just that he would be able to walk in discernment of what God was doing as God continued to reign and rule. See, in God's kingdom so different than ours it says the last shall be first that's not very American the least are the greatest Jesus told his disciples that they had to deny themselves now that that is really pressing it way too far self-denial but the kingdom of God is nothing like the kingdom of this world. Solomon understood that. Listen, listen to the, the Beatitudes that Jesus taught to the, to the disciples. Listen to who he said would be blessed, would be happy, would be fulfilled. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness. Blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted. You see, to be a follower of Jesus... And to think that we're going to be able to comfortably and naturally change people from the outside in is impossible. And that's why Jesus said, no, it has to, it has to be an inner transformation. What Jesus said to Nicodemus, it has to be a spiritual rebirth, not something external. See, the kingdom of God focuses on the heart, not on outward appearance or on outward behavior. And there's such a comparison when you look at times when, when in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when they try to, to change humanity from the outside in. Through power, through uh, through control of one sort or the other, w with good intentions. 
but it didn't bring transformation and it didn't place Jesus on the throne. The Pharisees, the Pharisees certainly had intentions to do that themselves. In fact, when they talked to Jesus about the kingdom of God and, and, and walking with him, they said, hey, Jesus, we're doing it right. We, we don't murder. We don't commit adultery. We're keeping the law. And how did Jesus respond? He didn't say, all right, you got it. He said, no. If you call someone an idiot, if you call somebody stupid, you've committed murder. I go, whoa. If you look at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. In fact, what did he say to the Pharisees? He said, you've, you've kept all the laws on the outside, and the law isn't the problem. He said, you've kept the law, but you are what? You're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but there's not this transformation on the inside. There's not a change on the inside. And when God said to Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? He wasn't concerned with how he looked on the outside. He was concerned with something that would change on the inside, that would allow him to have this communion with God, this wisdom, this discernment of what God's purposes were. The kingdom of God also defies, at times, human logic. I mean, can you imagine Solomon at 20, he was married. Can you imagine when Solomon went to his wife and said, hey, uh, God asked me last night what I want because he was going to give me whatever I asked for. And his wife's eyes get real big. What would you ask for? I asked for discernment and wisdom. You what? discernment and wisdom. He'd give you anything you want and you ask for discernment and wisdom? But what did God do? He gave him his discernment and wisdom, but then he gave him all those other things as well. Not because that's what he was pursuing or grabbing hold of or, or, he, or asking for, but because God is just that way. He's gracious, he's merciful, but he wants to know at the foundation who's on the throne. We see this principle throughout Scripture. We see when people want Christ to be on the throne, want God to be on the throne, we see how God provides, oftentimes miraculously, when, when Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity and, and the king in the, where they were taken captivity, the king wanted to give them his food, but the, the food the king was going to feed them was, was unclean. Though it was good. And, and Daniel said, no, I, I don't want to eat that food. Let me eat the food that I choose, the food that, that God would have me eat. And they said, well, no, what will happen is you'll, you'll get weak, you'll look, you'll look terrible, and I'll get in trouble, his, his, uh, the, the captain who was over him. And Daniel said, give me a chance. Let me eat what you think is going to cause me to become weak, and we'll see what happens. And indeed, Daniel ate the, the food 
that he chose, but he looked stronger, more fit, and indeed was stronger and more fit than those who ate the king's food. Because we're dealing with a God who is supernatural, and everything doesn't just fit in this nice little package where we get what we ask for. When it comes to God, sometimes we get what his gracious heart wants to provide. Solomon found that out. You know, I mean, that's that, this concept of, of tithing. You know, there have been so many times in my life where I thought, you know, God, this, this is a tight month. You know, it doesn't make any sense for me to write a check or to give to a missionary or, or whatever. You know, I need it. But over and over again, for the last 40 years, I've seen this, this principle that when we do what God says, he can do things that seem to defy logic. That the, in fact, the principle in most every area, the more generous we are, the more generous God is in his provision. How does that work? Solomon's father, David, King Saul was furious that David was going to take the throne. So Saul was out to kill David. And David was hiding in the cave. Saul comes into the cave, doesn't see, doesn't see David hiding in the back of the cave. David, rather than killing Saul and saying, okay, I'm safe now, says, I'm not going to kill the king even though he's corrupt. I'm not going to kill him just so that I can have the throne. He just cut a little piece of his robe off as he walked by just to show Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. That doesn't make logical sense. But God gave David the throne even though he didn't do what on an earthly plane seemed like it would result in what was best for him. See, doing things God's way and according to his values oftentimes bear much greater fruit because God is not limited by all the earthly limitations, all the earthly logic that we may use. I, I was thinking about that in regards, uh, this is going to step on some toes, but go with me on this one. I was thinking about that in regards to the whole issue of, of how we deal with immigration and how we deal with aliens. And in, in our mind and everything I hear and everything I read among Christians and others is, no, we, we got to recognize if we, and, I, and let me just say, I'm not saying I'm for open borders. I'm not saying, you know, just let anyone in. But, but listen to the logic that we have is if, if we open the borders, then there goes our jobs and there our, goes our safety. And the first thing we think of is, number one, ourselves, which is a really Christian-oriented thing. But the second thing is no consideration at all that perhaps if we do something that honors and pleases God, would he not be able to do something that provides safety and security and also 
provides an economy where jobs just don't fall between our fingertips. God's kingdom is upside down. Not to mention the fact that there are some 99 verses about welcoming the stranger and the alien. But instead of wrestling as Christians, wrestling with this, and I don't, I don't have this, I don't know, I'm not here to say here's the, the right political stand, but what I am saying is we need to wrestle with this fact and with these issues that the king who is on the throne is able to bring about results that don't seem natural when the people of God say, I want to follow you. Whether we're talking about being generous with our, with our money, whether we're talking about being generous in, in, with our words towards others, God doesn't have to. When we started this church and we began to pray for other churches every single Sunday, someone said to me early on, aren't you concerned that if you talk about these other churches and talk about them in, in positive ways, that people are going to start going to other churches and, and saying, well, I'm going to check that one out? No, I'm not particularly worried about that. Because I, I believe if we do what is right and are generous with our words and generous with our, our time and generous with whatever, God will take care of us. That makes sense? That's, that's thinking kingdomly. But it doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make sense to Solomon's wife. I, perhaps, I don't know, I wasn't there. And it doesn't make sense to many of us. So when God is on the throne... Priorities and decisions should be affected. So, so how do we apply these principles? Let me, let me sort of begin to wrap this up. How do we apply the principles of and seeing God's kingdom and God's values come while we're still stuck here living on earth? What, what does it look like to be in the world but not be of the world, not be like the world? Live according to principles that even defy the world's logic. How do we become like Solomon, who choose, chose to, to live a life that, that blesses God rather than just seeking to make sure that God would function in such a way that his life would be blessed? Well, here are some of the takeaways that I'm, I'm wrestling with and I'm coming to. The first thing is, You've heard of the, the TV series that, what is it, uh, Orange is the New Black? Well, he, he, gray is the new black and white. Remember that. And here's what I mean by that. We love when things are black and white. When things are clear. When things are obvious. When things are nice and neat. But when you walk with God, very few things are black and white. Gray, for the people of God, is the new black and white. That, this, you ever read that book? The disciples who walked with Jesus were constantly frustrated at Jesus because they would ask him a question and the answer just seemed that, that doesn't make it easier, that doesn't answer the question, that's not clear. 
because we're trying to think how do we bring the purposes of, a, of the king of kings into this world that fits into a nice, comfortable package and makes sense. And that's the constant challenge for disciples. And it was in the first century, first century as well. But there's ambiguity when you're trying to walk with God here on earth and to be in this world, but, be, but allowing God to be in control. And that's why when one day when, when one rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to, to have the kingdom of God, to have, the, to have the reign of God at work in my life? And to that rich young man, Jesus said, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. But then when Matthew was called to follow Jesus, Matthew the apostle, who was rich, he was asked to give away nothing. In fact, the night that, that, that he started following Jesus, he threw a big party for, for the disciples and anyone else who wanted to come. Because there's not this, this precise, here's how this always works, and here's how that always works. It's a matter of discerning and learning to listen and to walk and to say, Father, what can I do and what should I do in this situation, in this moment? So let me tell you where I've come to rest. And I don't say this because this is where everyone needs to, to come to rest. But what I am inviting you to into is, is the same wrestling and learning how do we walk in this world with God on the throne rather than our good ideas. The first thing is that there's no fudging on the clear teachings of the scriptures. We don't get to pick and choose what we like. Okay? Get that out of the way. Whether I like what it teaches or I don't like what it teaches, I don't get to pick and choose. Whether it's socially acceptable or not, I don't get to pick and choose. But at the same time, I recognize that Jesus teaches that, that mercy triumphs over, over judgment. So even when I am having to address or talk to another person and give an opinion that, that might seem harsh, that I need to be aware of, the, of the, the log that may well be in my eye as I might talk about a speck in their eye. but I don't get to pick and choose. Number two, I'm convinced that, the, that changing behavior doesn't change the heart or make somebody righteous or, or holy or a Christian. Only that spiritual transformation that the Spirit of God can produce does. So, so what do I mean? Well, even if Roe versus Wade was reversed, and even though same-sex marriage might, uh, can be made illegal, and, and we put Ten Commandments in every, every courthouse, and we uh, have prayer in every school, a manger scene on, on every town square at Christmas time, 
it would not make the U.S. a Christian nation. Any more than the, the implementing of the law in the, under the Pharisees made the Pharisees and Israel a, a nation under God. It, it, it made them whitewashed, looking right on the outside, but without the inner transformation. So that being said, what, what I've come to is I, that I need to give myself to personal transformation, letting God have his way with me, letting God work with me, speaking truth, holding the truth, but being concerned about myself, like what we see, what we see with, with Solomon, who wanted to discern and understand God's purposes rather than just what, what, is, what is my life all about. He wanted to have God come and transform and work and speak to him. So I, I, I want to be a person, a follower of Christ, who, who's about, Lord, what do you want to do with me? And as I interact with others, how can I best encourage others to surrender their hearts, to see a king who, who I've chosen to follow and, and make that the issue, that, that Jesus becomes the stumbling block, not me, not anything else, but let Jesus be the stumbling, the stumbling block. And that's probably more valuable to make the issue of, of hearts that are, are being personally transformed than trying to, to implement external ways of changing behavior and end up with a, a, a whitewashed country rather than a, a transformed nation. And I'm not saying that's where you need to come to, but I want you to know where, where I'm at as I wrestle these things out of my heart. I want to live by kingdom principles, even when it may not be logical or seem beneficial to myself. Knowing that God can and God will transcend his, his, his existence from heaven into, into this world. And he can bless whatever he wants. But what he is looking for is blessing those who want him on the throne first and foremost. And let me just, let me just finish up by saying, if, if you're thinking this is a political talk or that I'm just trying to be politically correct, not so at all, because this isn't being politically correct. This is just one of your pastors trying to be transparent about what it looks like to wrestle with those things that aren't nearly as clean cut and packaged neatly, but 
rather trying to come before God and say, Lord, you're calling me to be in this world, but not be of this world. And the only way I can do that is not having some nice roadmap laid out in front of me so I know exactly how to do it, but it's learning to walk with you one step at a time, having discernment and having wisdom for this moment and for this situation. And the, the older I get, the more, I'm going to end with this, the older I get, the more I'm convinced that quick, simple, black and white answers for things that aren't truly black and white in that book is naive and it's an affront to a, to a king who is far more broad in, in who he is and the answers that he gives to these to the situations here on earth than, than I'm comfortable with. But I got to wrestle with that. When we stand up, here's how I want to finish up. We, we have a little bit of time here. There are some of us, you're like me, and you do like things black and white. You do like to have an answer to situations and to have a, have a life that you sort of have it figured out. How marriage should work, how kids should be, how, how our government should be, how, how Congress should be, how uh, society, you like things clearly worked out career and everything else, and, and, and life has just not cooperated with you. Career hasn't, marriage hasn't, your kids haven't, maybe one or all of these, and, and I believe there's a tension within you. And I, 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 what I want is for not, to, it's not for God to relieve that tension, but for you to embrace that tension. Does that make sense? Not to say, Lord, take the tension of, of, of career and of marriage and of kids and, and life not, not being comfortable. Take that tension away, but rather say, Lord, help me to embrace this reality of walking in a fallen world with a, a king who is holy and righteous and good. Help me to have the discernment in each moment how to respond. And many of us just need for God to, to, to help us, walk us up, if you will, to just say, uncle, have your way. I want your will to be done rather than for me to get it worked out in a way that's comfortable for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So some of you need to come forward with that. There, I also feel like there are a number of people here tonight who have physical needs that need prayer. You know, there, I, I believe there are people here. I had a sense of a person here with TMJ uh, who needs prayer. Uh, uh, individuals who, there, I, I felt like there are a number of people who are dealing with skin conditions, with uh, you know, eczema and psoriasis and, and uh, rosacea and, and whatnot. You have skin conditions, chronic skin conditions, and God wants to touch you. But if, if you're here with any physical need, Come forward, let God, let God touch you for that. If you're here wanting to make life fit your, uh, make you comfortable, surrender the, 
to God and say, Lord, I, I'm not asking for you to make my life comfortable. I'm just asking that you give me the grace to have wisdom and discernment to walk with you and to know your presence is with me as I walk through this uncomfortable life. Okay? Why don't you come forward right now? Let's pray. Come, Lord. Let's make sure everybody that comes to the front has someone praying for them. some here tonight who've never made that initial surrender to Jesus. You, you, you may have even grown up in the church, but you've never said, Jesus, I want you to come and take hold of my life. I want that, that spiritual initial transformation to come where I say, Jesus, you are in control of my life. I surrender my life to you. So if you've never done that, if you've never received that free gift of forgiveness, I'm going to just pray out loud. I'm going to invite you just to pray silently and make my words your words. Just everyone close your eyes. Just bow your heads. Jesus, tonight, I give my life to you. Come and take hold of who I am and work into me the purposes, the plans that you have for me. I receive tonight that free gift of forgiveness. And I ask that you would allow me to begin this, this walk, this journey with you. Come and transform my life from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you, if you prayed that prayer, you can go ahead and look up. If you prayed that prayer, I'd encourage you to tell somebody and 
let me know afterwards and so we can just come alongside and help you grow in your, your walk with Jesus. If you're getting prayer up front, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and let, let God move. But I would just encourage all of us, let's agree as a, as a, a church family to wrestle with and to, to let the, the, the tension of being heavenly citizens in, a, in an earthly world, to let the tension not have to get fully fixed and fully answered, but walk graciously with one another as we, as we hold to his truth, but as we seek how he wants us to apply it in the various situations we find ourselves, okay? Sound reasonable? All righty. Well, God bless you guys. I will we'll see you uh, this next Sunday. Make sure if you didn't grab a booklet about the 40 days of prayer and fasting, you grab one before you leave tonight. Also, the lasagna dinner tickets, you go to the booth out in the lobby and you can get that or you can get a, a pan to make lasagna. They'll even give you the recipe. God bless you guys.